Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Today's podcast is brought to you by newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front-row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, Newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code CUPOFMURDER at Newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. This episode is sponsored by the game Best Fiends. Summer is starting to wind down, and if you are a parent or student, then you know back to school is right around the corner. But summer isn't quite over yet, so you still have time to make it special. If you were anything like me, you spent the summer relaxing outside with tons of time sitting by the side of the pool, messing around with your phone and playing some games. For me, the only mobile game I need is Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a five-star rated mobile puzzle game filled with fun, engaging puzzles to keep your brain both entertained and challenged while you work to defeat some slugs, earn some meteor mites, and grow your character collection. With Best Fiends, the fun truly never ends. With over 5,000 levels, the most adorable characters, and fun little challenges that change up constantly, this perfect travel companion is a nice de-stressor that will make your brain feel like it's still on summer vacation, even when you're returning to the carpool lane. We took a little road trip recently where the service wasn't the greatest. But because Best Fiends doesn't require the internet, I never had to stop playing, and it really made the trip go by so much faster. And I love that I'm having some fun while still making my brain work. I just got past level 517 and picked up a sassy little character named Carmen, who I'm working hard to try and level up. So join me and millions of people who are already playing this fun puzzle game. Make the most of your summer downtime and spend some time with your favorite fiends. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. Scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. 
being a spy seems like the stuff of fiction novels, making their extraordinary lives difficult to understand and wildly alluring. On August 16, 2010, a man disappeared off the face of the planet, only to be found a week later in a strange circumstance. A man whose extraordinary life was about to seep into an even more extraordinary death. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Gareth Wynne Williams was born on September 26, 1978, on the Anglesey Island of Wales to a loving, albeit completely normal when compared to Gareth's life, family. Gareth was an incredibly intelligent young man, so it was no surprise when he passes GCSE at the age of 10, his A-levels at 14, and graduated Bangor University at the age of just 17. Though described as shy and modest, Gareth, who was an accomplished cyclist on top of his aptitude in academics, more specifically mathematics, went on to pursue a PhD in computer science at the University of Manchester, where his abilities sparked the interest of the Government Communications Headquarters, a specialist communications and intelligence gathering organization that was originally established after the First World War as a cipher school and, during the Second World War, became legendary for its work cracking Nazi codes. Realizing this young man could be of extreme use to them, the GCHQ paid to have Gareth study advanced mathematics at Cambridge, And by 2001, he was working alongside some of the most elite codebreakers, cryptologists, and analysts in the world in Cheltenham, England. Of course, while we know he was accomplished in his field, very little is known about the exact nature of his work. We do know that he spent some time at RAF Menwith Hill, North Yorkshire, a site that specializes in intercepting global communications, Fort Meade in Maryland, where the National Security Agency is located, and by 2011, was at the London headquarters of the Secret Intelligence Service, MI6, and living in a government-rented apartment. And, while we can't be certain what he was doing for MI6, two senior British police sources claim that his work focused on Russia, and that he had allegedly been helping the NSA trace international money laundering routes being used by organized crime groups like Moscow-based mafia cells. Of course, none of this was confirmed by the NSA, and this information was only learned after Gareth's life took an unforeseen and cinematic turn for the worst. An intensely private man, Gareth took a much-needed vacation in September of 2010, with plans to return to London on August 11th, and later leave London in favor of the West Country. CCTV footage showed him spending the days after his trip doing menial things like shopping on the West End, taking the tube, and attending the Johnny Woo experience at a comedy club in East London. Basically just living out the last few days of living in London before returning to work and moving later that month. But he never did go back to work, and it either went completely unnoticed or just unreported. But either way, Gareth Wynne Williams seemed to completely fall off the map. It wasn't until August 23, 2010, that officers were called to do a welfare check. And once they got inside, they found the decomposing body of the government mathematician. But he wasn't simply lying on the floor or in his bed like we hear in most of these stories. No, 31-year-old Gareth was found naked inside of a red North Face bag that was padlocked 
from the outside. Key found under his body inside of the bag and lying in the bath of the master bedrooms en suite. His body decomposed beyond belief because the heat in the apartment had been cranked up to full blast. His time of death was roughly estimated at August 16th, 2010, due in large part to his internet search history. The apartment itself was completely clean, leading to two very distinct and very different assumptions about his death. On one side was the opinion that Gareth had placed himself inside of the bag, possibly in an odd form of suicide. Backed by lack of fingerprints, neither Gareth's nor a stranger's, the fact that the key was found in the bag, and absence of bodily injuries, many were keen to write off the story as a death completely by his own hands. But others weren't so sure. Everything was too neat, almost professional. And with the heat turned up to speed up decomposition and make an autopsy basically useless, many argued that it seemed like Gareth was actually the victim of a very skilled murderer, possibly a hitman. While the investigation started to gain momentum, MI6 met with the Metropolitan Police to discuss how the death of an intelligence agent was going to be handled the same organization that failed to notice Gareth had not returned to work. It should also be noted that the GCHQ waited five hours between his sister's call alerting them she had not heard from her brother and their call to police to request a welfare check. Despite these small, odd bits of information, the meeting with police did make sense. Gareth had worked with some of the most secretive organizations in the world, organizations that needed to remain a secret. And the work he was doing was a matter of national security, which is why the foreign secretary signed a public interest immunity certificate authorizing the withholding from the inquest of details of Gareth's work and U.S. joint operations. No one wanted the nature of his work getting out, which, while completely understandable, did make the investigation that much more difficult. And while the police continued their investigation, the FBI started one of their own. In December of 2010, the police released details that Gareth had visited a number of bondage websites, though a later inquest would determine that these visits were sporadic and accounted for only a small portion of the time he spent online. And evidence was given by his former landlady, who told how she and her husband were woken up in the middle of the night by Gareth screaming. He had managed to tie himself to the bed and could not get his restraints off, telling her that he was just trying to see if he could free himself but had failed. Then the investigation turned up some evidence that there was about 20,000 pounds worth of women's clothing found inside of Gareth's apartment. And this information, coupled with the internet search history and the fact that he frequented drag clubs, led many to assume that maybe his placement at the time of his death was a sexual game gone completely wrong. But an expert brought in to examine the bag concluded that Gareth could not have locked himself inside from his position, and a number of other experts backed this opinion, with two placing themselves into similar bags and, after 400 attempts, failed to complete the feat. Pathologist Richard Shepard stated that, due to the position his body was in, it was likely that he was alive when he was placed in the bag, with another pathologist stating that Gareth would have been overcome by hypercapnia, the elevation of carbon dioxide levels, after just a few minutes inside of the bag. But if all of this was true and there was another person inside of Gareth's apartment, why were there no traces of him or her? No signs of 4th century, no DNA, nothing. 
A coroner's inquest determined that Garrett's death was, quote, unnatural and likely to have been criminally mediated, going further to say that he was more than likely killed unlawfully, was highly critical of MI6 for taking so long to report him missing, condemned the Metropolitan Police's Counterterrorism Command for failing to report important information about Memory 6 and failure to take formal statements from Secret Intelligence Service officers and completely rejected the autoerotic activity angle. So Gareth's family came to the only conclusion that made sense to them, that Gareth was killed by a Secret Service agency in connection with his work, alleging that crucial DNA was interfered with and that fingerprints were wiped away as part of a government cover-up. It really wasn't a major leap, given Gareth's job. So a reinvestigation took place over the course of 12 months, and this time, a sweep of his apartment found 10 to 15 pieces of unidentified traces of DNA, though none of it was on the bag or around the area where it was found. There was also no signs of the deep clean necessary to remove all the traces of DNA. Once done, the Metropolitan Police Deputy Assistant Commissioner announced that, despite the re-examination of all of the evidence, three years of investigation, and unprecedented access to the inner workings of the secret organizations, no definitive answers were obtained in the case of Gareth Williams, and that the, quote, most probable scenario was that he died alone in his apartment as the result of accidentally locking himself inside of his bag. Though the detective assistant commissioner said that the police could not, quote, fundamentally and beyond doubt rule out the possibility that a third party was involved and rejected all suggestions that the security services pulled the wool over their eyes. In 2015, a former KGB agent named Boris Karpakov came forward saying that his sources in Russia have claimed that the Russian Foreign Intelligence Services was responsible for Gareth's murder after the SVR tried and failed to blackmail him into becoming a double agent. And in response to these attempts, Gareth claimed he knew the identity of a Russian spy working inside of the government communications headquarters. According to Boris, the agents killed Gareth with an untraceable poison placed in his ear. Whether this is true or not remains to be seen, but what is clear is that, even in death, Gareth was filled with secrets that may never be told. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on August 17th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.